0: Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And so, our Father, what we want to do now is to explore the breadth and the depth of the passage that we're considering today, pausing from 1 John, asking that you give us tremendous wisdom and understanding in our situation in life. You know firsthand even the experiences of the heartbreak of fatherhood where. In the Garden of Eden, your first children, Adam and Eve, rebelled against you. But you bring harmony out of disharmony. You bring unity out of disunity. And what you do at the cross of Jesus Christ is that you bring people together that otherwise would be separated all by your grace. So, Father, in these minutes that you give us now to be together, Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. and Shape these wills. Father, we've come here now to see Jesus once again. And him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had a pick one sports caster whose wisdom stands out for me, I'd be hard-pressed not to say Ernie Johnson. Sports Illustrated described him in an interview as the steadiest voice in sports. And Baker Bookhouse Publishing has come out with a volume on his life. It's called Unscripted, The Unpredictable Moments That Make Life Extraordinary. He loves Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior. And among the things that stand out in this extraordinary life is that not only is he a sportscaster, he is a cancer survivor, he's a father of six, married to a wonderful woman, four of the six are adopted, And among the adopted, there is a special needs child that he gets up in the wee hours of the morning for to care for before he even goes to work. And in that article that captured my attention, we are told that Ernie Johnson, Jr. was born to be a sports broadcaster in much the same way that Steph Curry was born to hoop. And if you have watched the NBA playoffs and the regular season and on and on, Curry hoops. Ernie Sr. was a major league baseball player turned broadcaster, giving his son a head start on multiple fronts. As a child, Ernie Jr. tagged along to the ballpark and on the speaking circuit, learning how to prepare game notes, interact with players, wicker room, and manage sports egos. And while his own baseball career petered out at the University of Georgia, it was his father's stiff-lipped proverbs that have stuck with him. One in particular. Quote, If somebody spikes you at second base, comma, you never rub it. Unquote. And when he reflects upon his cancer and remission, Johnson said, while sitting at his office in Atlanta last month, repeating his father's words three times to underscore how much he prizes, quiet dignity stood out in his soul. The writer goes on to say that if Johnson's nightly prep work for his broadcasting career sounds laborious, consider his mornings. When he's not on the road anchoring Turner's coverage, Ernie Johnson and his wife Cheryl get their 28 year old son Michael ready for the day. Michael, who was adopted from a Romanian orphanage in 1991, has muscular dystrophy and lives on a ventilator. The Johnsons, determined to have Michael remain at home while he is happier and more comfortable, provide for his needs. For example, in the morning, Johnson showers and shaves his son, assists him on and off the toilet, dresses him, and helps transport him from his bed into his wheelchair. The entire process takes up to 90 minutes. It's a miracle, Johnson said, noting that his wife Cheryl made the decision to adopt Michael when a nurse had told her in Romania, quote, no good, don't take. No good. Don't take. Tearing up in the interview as he was reflecting upon special moments as a father-son relationship. Johnson said, Michael loves going to Chick-fil-A, but he cannot swallow food anymore. We're told that Eric takes him and orders Michael a lemonade and some French fries. Eric dips the fries in ketchup and holds them in Michael's mouth. So he gets the taste of the fry and the ketchup. Michael's not chewing or swallowing, but at least he's getting the taste. For as Eric says, as a parent, you do what you got to do. He pauses and adds, and you never rub. And I thought about that as we're exploring these verses together. These are proverbial statements, taking maximo truth and creating miniaturized memories. How to be able to recall this truth and relate them to the everyday sudden occurrences of life. So what we're going to do now is to explore four of these sayings. You've got the sheets in front of you. Sayings 14, 15, 16, 17. And what I want to do with you is to work through them practically and relevantly and see how they help us through the days in, days out of life. And we start with saying fourteen, which appears on the screen. And what I want you to ponder at this point is the first of four themes which emerge in this study this morning, and it's the relationship with the Father. In other words, It is the father and the next generation's relationship to one another. And when Solomon begins with these words, words stand out as he writes, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Immediately, with the phrasing, my son, ask yourself the question, who's speaking? It is not the next generation speaking to the older generation. It is the father speaking to his children. In other words, he is exhibiting here what is one of the major tenets of quality leadership, taking initiative. And not only taking initiative, but exhibiting verbal initiative. He is initiating conversation, initiating communication with the next generation. He is not passive. He's proactive. And not only do you see initiative being taken here, but furthermore, what you see here is a relational connectedness. He's using the word, my. And so now, for that parent, father or mother, for a son or daughter, examine carefully now the quality of connectedness, and begin to ask tough questions within your own heart. What more can be done? Well, what he does at this point is that he begins to set up a conditional thought process, And he utilizes the word if, I-F. And what he will do, not once, but repeatedly in these four sayings we're exploring this morning, is to utilize the word heart. Heart. If your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. But notice now, still another observation, there is the connection of two hearts. There is the connection of a multi-generational heart matter. The father's heart, in this case, the son's heart. We could readily say the parent's heart and the children's hearts. No matter what stage of life or season of life they're in, there's got to be a heart connection. The matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. The heart is a significant aspect in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs in particular, It is the inner sphere, the inner core, where what I might say life makes up its mind. In the book of Proverbs, it carries with the idea of where the internal planning and processing unfolds, where the GPS of life is being set so that the inside works itself out into the ways in which we go and the way in which we go about living. The writer of Proverbs understands that the internals are to govern the externals, not the externals governing the internals. And what this father wants to do is to create a sense of heart awareness, heart awareness within the next generation, where the next generation begins to explore and understand their own set of vulnerabilities, explore what needs to be done, and make necessary adjustments along the way. It must have meant a lot to Solomon to ponder his father's heart condition, where God looked for a man after his own heart and settled, you see, upon Solomon's father, David. And Solomon, furthermore, would have had to process very seriously The statement, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, and there is to be a flow from the inner to the outer aspects of life. John Quincy Adams, president of the United States, overwhelmed by homesickness from Massachusetts, wrote a letter to his family members addressing comments of encouragement and counsel to each son and daughter. But when he got to his daughter, he wrote about the perspective of a marriage and the type of man that she should marry. And his words reveal how highly he valued working from the inside out. Daughter, he wrote. Get you an honest man for a husband. Keep him honest, no matter whether he is rich, provided he be independent. Regard the honor and the moral and spiritual character of this man more than any other circumstances. And now taken from Dorothy Begbie's biography of Abigail Adams, I've got these words highlighted. Think of no other greatness, but that of the soul no other riches but those of the heart so you become a cardiologist at this point and now you are transferring wisdom to the next generation if your heart is wise my heart too will be glad and there is a cause and effect relationship between the father and the child here. And the cause and effect relationship is the matter of wisdom. Now, in your insert this morning, what I've noted for you is that the word wisdom from the Hebrew, we even have the Hebrew word uh, spelled out for you here, it means masterful understanding, skill. Expertise. We would pronounce the Hebrew word "hokmah." It's a quality that God-centered fathers seek to instill in their children. I would add that it is a God-centered quality that mothers seek to instill in their children. So that they can live effectively for the Lord in this fallen world. I've chosen my words very carefully here that they can live effectively, because wisdom, when it's chokmah, biblical wisdom, is meant to be practical, it's meant to be effective, to get you through the various circumstances of life. In other words, we are equipping the next generation to be able to develop masterful understanding, skill, and expertise in all the various situations that we find ourselves in, day in and day out. Which means, then, you've got to examine the heart. Christian Bernard did it. Dr. Christian Bernard was the first person in the world to perform a heart transplant operation. And he was talking to his first transplant patient, a fellow physician, Dr. Philip Blayberg, Subsequent to, and after recovery had been taking place, Bernard asked, would you like to see your old heart? Dr. Blayberg said he would. So 8 o'clock one evening in Johannesburg, South Africa, Dr. Bernard went up into a cupboard, took down a glass container, and handed it to Dr. Blayberg. And inside that container was Blayberg's old heart. For a moment there, they stood there stunned, considering the significance of what had occurred. This was the first man in history ever to hold hold his own heart in his hands. Finally, he spoke and for 10 minutes, he plied Dr. Bernard with technical questions. then he took a final look at the contents of the glass container, sighed and said, so this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. And he handed it back and walked away. We've got to understand through the usage of chukmah masterful understanding, skill and expertise. The relationship of the heart to this world. How the internal is to shape the external of living and not vice versa. And follow the guidelines of a president of prior times. Think of no other greatness but that of the soul. No other riches but those of the heart. But he must have taken biology 101, Solomon did. He was a brilliant man because he explores this a little further anatomically at this point and goes on to say in the very next verse, my inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. The phrase inmost being in Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, the words inmost being come from the Hebrew word kidneys, kidneys. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad, my kidneys will exult. When your lips speak what is right. But what I want you to see now is the correlation between the internal and the external because what he done here is move from the internal realm, anatomically, in this case the kidney, to the external realm, that of the lips. And what he is saying is that what is being communicated from the lips is revealing what is transpiring from within. hokmah understands the relationship between the internals and the externals of life. And it shows up on how we do Facebook. Shows up on how we handle social media. Shows up in the way in which we communicate generationally and multi-generationally. My inmost being, my kidneys will exalt, he goes on to say, when your lips speak what is right. And you begin to ponder that. And you begin to examine that. And you see all the connections that are happening here, Hokmah. And you begin to think very seriously about the ways in which God both connects things in your life as well as distinguishing things for your life. And you start with saying 14, and whether your father is with you or not, and whether your children are with you or not, whether you are a father or not, or whether or not you have the opportunity in the future to marry we begin to think this through, saying 14, the relationship with the Father. And bear in mind, as I said a little earlier, the first Father in all of history, God the Father, saw rebels in the Garden of Eden and had to go out of his way to reunite with them. And like the prodigal son's story in the Newer Testament, which would have raised eyebrows in the Middle East, that when that son walked out on the father but started to make his way back home, the father did not wait passively in the house. He got out on the streets, something you don't do in that culture, embraced his son, who had rebelled against the father, visually demonstrating a new sense of leadership and initiative and bonding and a sense of relationship here. Saying 14 comes alive in that story. But then you move to saying 15 because you bridge, and now you take the relational of saying 14, and you build a road to the saying of saying 15, which moves from the relational to the reverential. Let not your heart envy sinners. He gets what happens in the internal world of that individual. You're going to look at, if you are a believer, unbelievers, who might seem as though they've got more than you've got going for them monetarily, educationally, family dynamics. And there might be a sense of a breakdown that you're struggling with. Now what he says is, let not your heart envy sinners. Notice, however, that Solomon, brilliant that he is when it comes to wisdom, utilizes the B.U.T. so often in the writings of Proverbs and elsewhere that what fascinates me is that he sets up contrasts to get your attention. Now he offers a contrast, but instead of that, do this. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So I began to do a study on the fear of the Lord, and it occurs 14 times 14 times in the book of Proverbs. But what fascinates me all the more, and why I'm prone to say that the proverbial writings take the maximal doctrines of Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and miniaturizes them in a way for memory purposes, is that this fear of the Lord was utilized in Torah in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right before the Shema would be recited by family members within the home. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 6. Now is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. But now he thinks multi-generationally. You? You? on your son, on your son's son. There is a direct link, then, between the book of Proverbs and books such as Deuteronomy, the opening books of the Bible. You want to understand the link as you examine the scriptures and see how everything fits together. But when you have a sense of a healthy perspective, not an unhealthy one of the fear of the Lord principle, then you'd construct a worldview in which you see the issues of life proportionately rather than disproportionately because God is maximum and the issues of life are minimum rather than vice versa. Chrysostom understood that. Gifted communicator of biblical truth in the, in the century in which he lived He faced incredible political opposition for communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were watching. People were observing. And one asked another, where does he get his courage? And the response was classic. He fears man so little because he fears his God so much. The fear of the Lord and the grace of the Lord are not contradictory. They are complementary. So exposed we are to the holiness of God, we're struck then by the grace of the Lord that will be offered us at the cross of Jesus Christ. So now we take the Chrysostom principle here and we see what is going on. So what does he do? The writer of Proverbs adds now a sense of certainty in verse 18, which speaks to the heart of people that are living in such uncertain circumstances. Surely, he's saying to you, surely, he's saying to me, there's a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And you know what I love about that? The Hebrew word for cut off there was the very same word used to describe Solomon's father at the feet of King Saul. And as David began to ponder cutting off the edge of the robe of King Saul to make a statement as to who's the real leader of the land of Israel, David was so overwhelmed with the sense that he did not have the right to cut off Saul's kingdom. That's God's doing. You ever felt cut off? Surely there is, I say this to all those who feel so hopeless this morning. Surely there's a future. Your hope will not be cut off, it's memorable phrasing. Did you like the Stanley Cups? If you're a Christian, you love hockey, you see. And after one of my late night meetings, senior pastors late night meetings go hand in hand, you see. I went home to ponder what was on sports-wise. I was flipping through baseball and hockey. And I was all caught up, you see, with the Stanley Cup finals. And there's one player in particular that that seized my attention. His name is Sidney Crosby, and if you follow hockey, you know that Crosby is elite. And what fascinated me was the skill that Crosby demonstrates on the ice. When it comes to passing, he does not pass to where his, his teammate is. No. He passes the puck to where his teammate will be. Multi-generational parenting thinks that way. We are not merely communicating truth to where people are. Every life circumstance we find ourselves in, we are passing the puck of truth, so to speak, to where people will be, to where people should be. So now you're connecting, saying, saying 14 with saying 15, you're connecting relationship of reverence, but you're not done yet because you get to saying 16. And now in verse 19, he takes his breath, reconnects that relational dynamic and says, "Here, my son, be wise, be hokma." Underline what comes next. Don't take it for granted. Direct your heart in the way. He does not write, follow your heart. Does he? Why? Jeremiah would remind you and me how desperately wicked and deceitful the heart is. How many times have we been introduced to the cultural proverb, follow your heart? How many times has a senior pastor People might come up to me and say, Speak from your heart. And I smile courteously, but I I know the condition of the human heart. The story of Dr. Bernard with his fellow patients sticks in my head. And the writings of the proverbial principles are there for me to process. And then you begin to think about the fact, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And so rather than following your heart, you direct your heart. You lead your heart rather than the heart lead you. And now he gives you an example. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. I want you to see the dual usage of the word among, He's saying to the next generation, watch where you position yourself. Where are you spending your time and among whom are you spending your time? Furthermore, notice that he does not emphasize one over the other here. Drunkard and gluttonous, he puts into the same phrase and gives a reason why for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here then is your next one, the matter of restraint within the culture. In other words, what he's challenging you and challenging me to do is to become self-regulatory based upon God's word. My first funeral. My first funeral involved alcohol, boating accident, several deaths, Multiple family units in hostile relationship to one another. CBS, NBC, ABC, and other newscasts arriving at the funeral. Guns brought into the funeral. Police surrounding various aspects of the crowd, an incredibly large crowd, and I'm supposed to speak. And I'm pondering that. Because around that time, there was a a TV program that had as its lyrics, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? And sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And the lyrics were stuck in my head as I, as I got up to speak. But then I remember what Chuck Swindoll had once written. Chuck, one wrote to him, The only thing I miss having come to saving faith in Jesus Christ is that old fellowship with all my buddies down at the bar. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace. Escape rather than reality. The bar flourishes Because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known. To love and be loved. But in this fallen culture, so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few or more beers. As I get up to speak. And how many times have I had to address that? in all my years of senior pastoral work, in the brokenness of so many, so many lives. You see the sayings here. Relationship with the Father, 14. Reverence for the Lord, 15. Restraint within the culture, 16. But there's something on the upswing that ends in verse 22 down through 25. Because fourthly and finally comes saying 17, rejoicing among the parents. Listen to your father, the father says, who gave you life. He's thinking about the starting point. Do not despise your mother. I love his leadership, his initiative. And she's old. In other words, if I'm no longer around, you've got to take care of her. We don't have social security operative here in in the land of Israel. He's empowering the next generation for leadership. But he's also covering the scope of life from beginning to ending. And in verse 23, what he does now, not once but twice, is that he uses a financial term to describe the significance of this matter. By truth. Do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And I looked at that word and researched it. And it carries with the idea to purchase that which is costly. To acquire that which is of highest value. But underneath it, it carries with the idea of developing the capacity to appraise value Accurately. What the generation prior does for the next generation to come is to equip the next generation to appraise true value accurately. Because there's a difference between value and the common price tag. The buyers and the sellers of homes are thinking about price tag and worried about what the appraiser will say will be true value. But what God is equipping believers to do is to appraise where true value is to be found. Chukmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise to be passed on, even in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness, in the sphere of God's grace. He ends with these words. The father of the righteous, here's your word, will greatly rejoice. What makes dad rejoice? The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a hukmah son, or I will add, a hukmah daughter. I've got wonderful sons and a wonderful daughter. He who fathers a chukmah son, a chukmah daughter, will be glad in him, or glad her. I'm talking to men and women now. But end with this. He moves from the parental to the marital and instills in the next generation with where quality relationship needs to get worked out in the laboratory of life, let your father and mother be glad. And then with a nod to the mother, says, let her who bore you rejoice. Maximizing truth in miniaturized form for memorable moments. If somebody spikes you at second base, You never rub it. As an Ernie Johnson ponders, being a father of six, a father to adopted children, getting up when others are sleeping to care for a special needs child, now in the adult years of his life, doing what others do not see, but God and God alone sees. And you're doing What others may not see, but God and God alone sees. And my prayer is that you sense God's presence in the everyday living of life. Happy Father's Day. Let's stand together. And so we merge Father's Day with Lord's Day. And we see how you have revealed yourself as Heavenly Father. In this fallen world, we've got fallen fathers. But we lead them to the one who has never fallen and never fails. And so, Father, in the brokenness of this world, you produce wholeness of life. You take us to the cross where our Savior began and ended with a sense of oneness with his Father and gives us salvation so that we might know you as Father. And for this Father, on this Lord's Day, we thank you for being our Father on this Father's Day and give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.